First, before I get started, well, yeah, actually, if, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. Uh, if you don't have one, there may be one underneath your chair. I'd say you could take it with you if you don't own a Bible, but it's not a very attractive Bible, so you probably want to take it with you. Um, and then uh, really quick, uh, before I forget, Leah Van Allen, you here tonight? Where are you? I need to use you as an illustration. No, I'm playing. I don't even know who you are. Um, Kathy needs to chat with you really quick about your application for the mission trip. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> sorry. I can make it really awkward for someone. <laughs> um, let's see here. I know, I know. Mark Mark said something about glad to be in the uh, Cowtown races over with. I am too. I didn't run in it, though. Um, I'm just happy it's done. Because the route goes right by my house, and I couldn't get out of my driveway yesterday. <laughs> I was actually running late, and, and I needed to get to the gym so that I could actually work out in 45 minutes, shower. So I was getting to the gym by 9, leave by 10 to go to a wedding. I know girls are like, that, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but um, yeah, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I was running late, and uh, I was getting frustrated. I, I'm really not, a, I don't have an issue with road rage anymore, um, because... I drive a Jeep Wrangler and it doesn't go very fast. And it gets poor gas mileage, so there's really no point in me driving fast, cutting in and out. You know, I don't want to roll the thing right. It's never going to happen. But, um, and when I had a Honda Accord when I was in high school, and then I had road rage. Because that can could fly around pretty fast. Anyway. But, you know, people will be getting in the way. I'm trying to get to the gym, and, uh, and people are in the way. And, like, they have the right of way, and they're stopped. And you're just like, all right, yeah. Anyway, you get all worked up. But I, I was thinking about it. Um, we sung... Uh, stuff tonight that really had to do with, you know, character and, you know, change coming from the side out. I mean, that was the last song we just sung, and our heart. And we're going to get back to that in a minute, what that really means, because I think we sing the word and say the word heart, and it means a lot of things to different people. Um, but thinking about preparing for this week in the songs, it's, it's humbling to be up here talking to you guys. Uh, because I'll be honest with you, I'm not a superhero. I, mean, I know that sounds stupid to some, but I'm not the guy up here who who tells you what to do because I figured it out. And and we're going to be diving into some stuff tonight that has been real. I mean, think of, just for me to get fed up because my time was being wasted. I wasn't going to be able to get my pump on in 45 minutes, you know, kind of deal or whatever, because now it's cut down to 30 because it took me 25 minutes to get from here to TCU, which is like, come on, because the route goes all around this neighborhood. Um, I mean, how, how self-absorbed am I? And that's a little thing, right? We have bigger decisions during the week. Other things going on in your life day by day. So really wrestling with this passage. So, I mean, from the get-go, guys, I don't have this figured out. Uh, God has just been gracious enough to point us where we need to go and remind me of a few things. Um, this last, or I guess it was a couple weeks ago, Mark uh, finished up chapter 2 in First Timothy. I'm going through this uh, series called The Imperatives, which is basically Paul's final words to Timothy, where he's giving him exhortations on, on what the most important aspects of the Christian life are. And, and thus far, he's been reminding him about the gospel and saying, like, Timothy, you know the gospel. You need to remember the gospel. You need to get it in your life so that you can have a life of, of purpose and of meaning so that you can continue to proclaim the gospel and share it so that you can endure, so that you can be kind, so that you can be gentle. And this last week, he, he, he talked about how, Timothy, you need to you know, flee the youthful desires of the flesh, these things that enslave you, that trap you. 
and pursue righteousness, pursue peace, pursue love, pursue faith. Things that are going to actually make you free. Things that are going to be able to build character in you. So that all these people that are against you right now, so you're not just going to tell them off because you're right, but you're going to be gentle and loving with them so that some of them might actually wake up. And, and then he goes into this next section, though, which is kind of odd because what we're about to dive into doesn't seem like anything positive at all, to be honest with you. I got, there, there's no great news in the passage itself. It's a long list of vices, of bad behaviors, and you're like, where is this coming from? I don't think it's unintentional. I think Paul planned this, basically. He, he's, it's like a, a, a crucial tangent because he's described to Timothy what it is that he's supposed to live for, what it is that he's, have to, what he's supposed to have his heart set on. And now what he's going to do is show Timothy examples within the church. You might want to hold on to that idea. This message, in a sense, is more for the church people in the room. Um, of what opposite character that looks like. Of what that kind of life looks like. And at the core of it is self-love. Selfishness, narcissism. Prideful self-absorption. The thing is, though, it's all in the little things. Usually not in the big things. The Bible's a pretty realistic book. It just deals with the way things are. Um, and it kind of paints a picture most of the time that, that doesn't give you these huge, weird, freakish abstractions. I, we read the words and they don't make any sense, but it gets pretty clear if we can just figure out what's going on um, the, to deal with this whole thing. I mean, that's the, the, the topic, I think the title, the message on the notes, uh, you become what you are. That may not make any sense. I hope it will as we get going on. Um, basically, you become the person that you are day by day. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, four things we're going to look at, all right? But to, to figure this out, to dig into this, I mean, to see if, if you're really aware of how selfish and how much self-love you have in your life. Because I know people in here are probably like, oh, well, you know, I know I'm selfish or whatever. Do you? Really? I don't know, man, because I'm, I'm figuring, I've been doing this thing for 10 years, and I'm still getting gunned down every day, you know? Um, so four things to look at. We need to look down the road of self-love, see where it goes. And then from there, figure out how to know yourself, how self-love really works. And then uh, we'll figure out where we go from there. First of all, the path of self-love. Just um, starting off with verse 1 in chapter 3, it says, But understand this, I mean, just out of nowhere, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. All right, first of all, just for clarity's sake, the last days doesn't mean like Armageddon. Okay, what we're talking about here is a common phrase used in the New Testament. It basically means the time between when Christ resurrected and was, and was ascended into heaven and when he's going to come back. So just now, the church age, all right, any time after he left. So in this time, there is going to become difficulty. And he's talking about stuff in the church. Mark already said it a couple weeks ago. The church's enemy usually is within the church. It's not outside. When you start blaming, you know, the government or the nation, or the culture, or whatever, eh, that's just weak. Um, usually the, the problems are w- within here. I mean, people say, I don't like Christians, be- I don't like Christianity because I don't like Christians. I mean, that's not all uh, that off, right? So understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, why do I call it a path of self-love versus, you know, the end state or whatever? Um, the scriptures are pretty clear, and this is what I mean by the Bible being real. Your life, 
is basically um, a path. Uh, Proverbs talks about it a lot, right? The little things that you do day in and day out determine the character that you have. So, I mean, none of us here, I don't think, right? None of us plan on becoming a jerk, right? Anybody? I'm not the only, only, you know, truthful speaking person here. Nobody plans on just going down the road. No, I mean, on an extreme end, no one plans on becoming a liar or a murderer or a thief or a con artist. None of you plan on becoming a person who is untrustworthy with your friends. None of you plan on becoming so self-absorbed that you hurt other people in your life. None of you look forward to that, right? So it's, it's about character. And I know none of, this passage doesn't talk about character, but just comparing this passage to the rest of Scripture, that's what we're dealing with. Nobody just lands here. These are things that develop. So to kind of get this idea, go ahead and jump to verse 6, because I'm going to go ahead and hit the end of the passage first. And it, it, Paul basically gives examples within the church within the church of what this kind of looks like with some groups of people. Verse 6 says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. And i got to be careful about this one. (laughs) Easy, Josh. (laughs) The girls are like just waiting for him to say something, and the guy's like, dude, don't say anything stupid because the rest of my night's going to be crappy. (laughs) At dinner, they're just going to be griping about it the entire time. No. Um, All right. This does not mean all women. Let's just clear the air. Uh, this does not mean all women. This is a certain group of women within the church. We'll get back to that in a second. So it says, Creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and yet never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Uh, let me give you guys a little uh, context here. We've talked about it a little bit back and forth. Uh, we're dealing with false teachers, some issues in the church where people are leading people different directions. There are women in the church who are probably wealthy widows, all right, now, by the status back then, uh, two things usually for, for a widow. If you had no money, you were screwed because you had to become a prostitute normally, all right? Or if you didn't have a family to fall back on. Um, and you're also pitied, essentially. Christianity is kind of cool. It, and, and we don't have time to really get into this, but as a, not as a religion so much, as a whole new culture that was created was the first, first one ever that basically, even back then, empowered women to continue to be single, that's why Paul talks about it elsewhere, to not feel burdened like you have to go find a man if you don't feel called to after you've lost your husband or whatever. Okay? But these women, uh, burdened with sins, they're burdened, they're, they had baggage, probably. All right? They had probably issues that they had carried with them. And so then all these false charismatic dudes come along, pretty influential in the church, enough where Paul is freaking out about it and writing Timothy, I'm like, listen, watch out for these guys. So the two of them together, I'm not saying it's going to be like codependent relationships, but basically they were able to dive in and take these women and continue them along in the path that they were already on. Basically saying, um, we're going to feed them what they, the felt needs, what they think they need. We're going to teach them hedonistic teachings that basically say enjoy life, etc. And so what you've got here is, is, all right, let me put it this way for a little context, because I know you're like, I'm not a widow, I'm not whatever. Um, if you ever feel like you're on the outside, whether it be culturally, socially, whatever, you will take love if it looks genuine whenever you get it, wherever you can get it, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys, maybe yourself, maybe friends, if you've been hurt, if you have a rough history, you, you, you know, you see your friends, why does she date the same kind of guys over and over again? 
I'm not going to harp on the, on, it's not harping on the ladies there. Um, when you feel like you're on the outside of something, when someone comes in and tickles your ears and says that they care about you, you buy into it because we all need something, right? You can take what you get. That's basically it. We live, um, we make our choices based on maximiz- maximization of pleasure and the minimization of pain. We do that with everything. Even if it's all bad choices, you pick the one that's going to cause the least amount of pain. Um, and so like in relationships, you have this going on. And even with guys, though, let's, let's take it today. Um, guys, you know, because I've been here, when you get into a relationship, just because it's going to make you feel better, it's not about her. It's about you. It's about what you want, uh, the, the control of your own life, uh, being able to assert yourself. I mean, so put in a current, current context. I mean, yeah, I don't, not the dudes in here aren't false teachers running around and the women are a bunch of wealthy widows, you know, but you've got core motives that have to do with love of self, which we're going to get into in a minute. It'll drive the women to be basically abused, whether it be emotionally or physically, and it'll drive guys to continue to be power-mongering, prideful control freaks. Um, do you think, though, that any of these guys, I mean, even in this passage, just suddenly got there? Do you think the women, again, planned to be there? That they wanted? They don't even know what's going on. I mean, it says, you know, that they continue to always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. What's going on is they, their itching ears are being fed. They're always thinking they're getting good stuff because false teachers are charismatic guys. We see them on televangelists all the time, right? People buy in, send the money in, whatever. But they're never arriving at the truth. They're never arriving at what really matters, what really gives them significance, what really gives them meaning, what really is going to restore them. They didn't, they didn't just get there, right? Um, I heard a story. It happened a long time ago. It was about some guy. It was, I guess it was back in the 70s, actually. A guy was in jail, and uh, he was kind of telling his life story, uh, how he'd ended up there. And he was, t- excuse me, he was talking about um, how when he was young, he, his dad had this awesome gold watch. He was his favorite thing. And he was playing with it one time, snuck into his dad's office or play with it, and dropped it, and the face cracked. And so he put it back and he hit it. And his dad confronted the whole family, you know, who broke my watch? And uh, he didn't say anything. And then years later, uh, he was driving. He didn't, I mean, he didn't say anything because that was the natural bent. I mean, you know that. You and your kids, the natural bent is to cover up, to save yourself, to not tell the truth. Whatever it is, it's going to benefit you. You tell the truth if it benefits you. But in the moment you're scared, whatever. Years later, he was driving down the street, accidentally ran over a little toddler. In an instant, he fled the scene. Now, he was recounting. He didn't ever just plan. Uh, he was caught later. Uh, sentenced, I don't know how long his sentence was, but, you know, he's like, it, it wasn't just that in that instant I decided to run. My whole life, I had been making little choices to fend for myself, to do whatever. And then it just became natural. I didn't even think about it. Now, that may not be the case for you guys. I'm not saying you're running over people, okay? Um, what about business decisions for you guys who are working that involve ethics? 
Uh, David Breedlove is uh, one of the guys who went on the men's retreat, and he was just making a comment. He had, his business had been through some serious things, and some guys who were in illegal stuff had gotten involved with them, and, and by grace of God, they made right business decisions, and so they cut the ties, and the dudes got turned into the FBI and all this junk, right? Um, but he said, um, what was interesting is true, is true. He said, we are always just a couple decisions away from ruining our lives. Doesn't matter who you are. So what little things are you making? What little decisions are you making now? Uh, maybe in relationships. You've learned from mistakes. Oh, I'm never going to date that kind of person again. Maybe you do. 50% of us then hold to that and we don't. But why do you have the same habitual behaviors? within the relationships that you never seem to get over. Stuff just sets it up over time, over and over again. All right? So we have to look down this path and and realize that that we become who we are. Um, We don't just suddenly get there. And so this leads us to the next point. In order to really grasp this for yourself individually, you've got to understand who you are. You've got to know who you are. So that's the second deal. you may be, just maybe think of it this way, you may be on the path uh, of this self-love, of this self-centeredness. Um, all right, think of it this way. You, you really need to know your flaws, right? Your weaknesses, your little sins, the little behaviors, all little issues. So, so think about this. This may not be everybody in here, and I'm not saying the whole list is everybody, but just think individually. Uh, do you always need people's approval? Are you always comparing yourself to other people? Are you constantly afraid of failure? Are you looking down on other people ever? Subconsciously, you're like, I'm as good as him. I'm as good as her. I'm as good as you. Now, when you get in a conflict with somebody else, do you get defensive? Do you blame shift? Uh, maybe you can't take criticism. Either it freaks you out or you won't even listen to it. These are all little pieces, little things, little behaviors that are forming who you are as a person, some big, some small, all right? And they're all centered around self-love, around narcissism. Small ways, little things over time. See, the more you feel or think these kinds of things, you know, the more you feel like life is just not fair, uh, the more concerned you become about yourself. It's, it's kind of like you make your decisions based on the idea that it's, you know, if you're, if you if you are me, it's your life for my interest, for what I can gain. Now, that sounds horrible, but you got to think little, because I know no one's out here just, like, turn around, someone leaves the room, and bam, you know, mug them, and then you're off. I, I doubt it. I don't know if anybody in here does. I've never heard of that in here. We have the care team. We have a police officer in here, too, so he'll get you. Um, so do you struggle with any of these? Any of these things. And, and Paul's going to get into, at the beginning of the chapter here, he really sets it up beforehand, where the stuff comes from. So in verse 2, starting in verse 2, uh, it's, it's really important that you guys understand that this right here is a natural progression of self-love. These aren't isolated vices. This is a long list. You're like, whoa. This is a, they're all related to each other, and he, and he frames it with two different things, which we'll get to here. So first of all, starting in verse 2, It says, for people will be lovers of self. We've already started to talk about that. Lovers of money, proud and arrogant. Um, Lovers of self, lovers of money. This doesn't just mean cash. This idea is greed. It's basically um, lovers of the material world. If you are, if life revolves around you in some way, then you've got to get 
whatever it is that you need to feed that life from what's going on around you, right? So that's, that's kind of what we're getting into. We're not going to spend too much time on all these, but it was interesting. It says, then proud and arrogant. Now, why would Paul use two words that seem synonymous? They seem like the same thing, right? So there's got to be something more going on with that. Now, I'm getting all the Greek stuff, but basically there's, a, there's actually three or four different words in the Greek for how you look at pride. Some focuses more on your belief, like how you see yourself, and then some of them focus more on like how, then how you act toward other people. But what he's getting at here is proud is kind of the external action. Arrogant is the internal belief. And so proud here is basically a, a view of yourself that is self-aggrandizing. You, you, you think of yourself bigger than you actually even are. I mean, you can't really even back it up whether it's external or it's internal. And then arrogance getting deep into basically your view of yourself in relation to everybody else is more important. And this sets you up against God and anybody else, really. Now, some people in here probably, I don't struggle with pride, really. I'm a nice guy. I'm pretty cool. Pretty easy going. Um, Really. I, I, uh, when I, I trusted in Christ when I was 17, um, it's a little over like 11 years ago, I guess, 11, yeah, 12, wow, man, anyway, fast approaching 30, and uh, I, I was a cocky jerk, and then I came to Christ, and it didn't, it didn't all go away, I'm not saying that, but uh, people are like, I know, I know you now, right, um, <laughs> I, I got exposed to how much, at least outwardly, arrogant I was. And by the grace of God, obviously, with the Spirit working inside of me, it, it became apparent. And it's like, man, I got to work on this. And so slowly it went away. But what was funny, it was replaced by something else. Because I was just trying to address the outward action. I started to get prideful against people who were arrogant. I don't make any sense, right? I mean, you think about it, but it kind of makes sense. You basically, man, that guy's a jerk. You don't say anything, but you're thinking, glad I'm not like him. Um, it just changes. Uh, what's funny is, maybe you're a shy person, and you're like, I'm, I don't really struggle too much with that. But what people don't know about you, perhaps, is that because you don't talk about it, they have no clue how self-absorbed you are. Your self-pity is just another, the other end of the spectrum. Woe is me. Life isn't fair. It's still the same thing. It's still the same thing. So whether it's an inferiority complex or a superiority complex, it's all pride. Uh, it's funny because in recent years, and I, haven't, I don't have anything on hand, I just have heard this on a couple occasions, psychologists even have talked about the whole self-esteem movement is a bunch of junk. Uh, the whole like, oh, you need to think more of yourself. When the, the problem is, is people already think too much of themselves to begin with. It just depends on what's one end of the spectrum or the other. You don't need to think more highly of yourself. Uh, the Christian answer is, in a sense, to think less of yourself. doesn't mean you think low of yourself. The whole idea of denying yourself, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Nothing to do with having a low opinion or a high opinion. It means having less of an opinion of yourself. I realize I didn't drink any of that water, did I? Um, people like really, <laughs> it's like eyes are moving. Here's the deal with this, guys, and I'm going to belabor it too much longer. Pride really destroys any possibility of any real lasting joy because it's always competitive. It's always comparing yourself to other people. 
And when you're really wrestling with that, you can never really be satisfied, even in the things that you think are going to bring you satisfaction. Um, and and it, really, it really warps things. I mean, think about it this way. And it drives, the other, it drives really these other vices, which I think why Paul's setting it up here. Lust, for instance, will drive a man to chase a woman. But he's interested in the woman. Pride will drive a man to chase a woman just because he can. Just to prove himself. Maybe it's in competition with another guy. Maybe to one-up the other guy. It totally steals the identity from other people. It totally uh, takes advantage of other people. Let's keep going here. Abusive. This is great. (laughs) Sorry, I get get a crack at all this stuff here. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. It's funny, this list is like, Paul, like, in the end days, people be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and they'll throw tantrums and they won't clean up their rooms. I mean, you're thinking, like, what is that all about? The the point of that is that a heart who who turns on other people, which is basically abusive, a heart that is disobedient to one's parents is basically a heart that says, I am my own law. I determine what's right and wrong for myself. And if that's the case, then that's determinant of your heart as it is before God. And that's why it's such a huge deal in the scriptures. This isn't the only place where it talks about being disobedient to our parents. Ungrateful, unholy. Um, do you guys go throughout your life and the, even the smallest little things that go well for you, if you guys aren't extremely grateful for even the smallest thing, that puts a mark on your soul. Because it develops over time into basically, I, I deserve this. I deserve this. And unholy, not, not wanting the, the things of God. Here, all right, here's the deal. These first sets of vices here that you guys are getting into. This is kind of conjecture on my part, but you notice that they're really setting up the soul and God. It's kind of like a vertical relationship. But what the next ones really go into is relationships with everybody else. So it's almost like if the vertical's all screwed up, your horizontal relationships are going to be jacked up too. And maybe more so. To keep going, it says that they will be heartless. Heartless is basically to start having love for other people. Unappeasable. This is, this is a crazy one. Unforgiving, essentially. Your own view of being right or whatever it is is so important that you are not willing to seek out forgiveness and you're not willing to give it, regardless of what happens. Not loving good, oh, excuse me, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. I'm going to stop there. All these things are turning on other people. And, and the swollen with conceit, here, here's why, guys, I really want to push this into you uh, and hopefully get your attention on this. The idea of swollen conceit sounds like another pride issue, right? Different word, though. The idea of being swollen with conceit is basically you getting to a point where because of your self-love, the level of it, you are completely disillusioned with life. You have become self-deceived. You have no clue that the rest of the stuff is even an issue. You become so swollen, you're ready to blow. You have no idea. And, and this is... Paul's talking to people in the church. Um, and, and that should make you think a little bit, I hope. I'm not talking about those of you guys who are wrestling with sins and, and the Spirit is convicting you, but those people who have gone along this road and you aren't feeling jack. 
and you're just living your life. There's no desire for goodness. There's no desire for love. Think of the opposites of all these things. And elsewhere in the scriptures, this is, these are lists of people who are basically, and I'll say it, they're bound for hell. Some of you may not like that idea. Um, it probably seems a little like, I don't know about that. You know, you think maybe your view of hell um, is this, that God just you know, throwing people into fire or whatever, um, just arbitrarily picking people, you know, last minute, oh no, you know, and they're, they're dead and, and they're, oh, you know, and they're all, oh, please, you know, forgive me or whatever. If you look at the scriptures holy, all right, and get an idea of what people are like and what they choose and how they live their lives, it's going to paint a little bit different picture. And I'll be so strong as to say that basically, uh, this is a little bit of a strong statement, but I think, I think it's true. I think it's, it's biblical. People end up in hell because they choose to go there. Because their life, the end of their life, the whole idea that you become what you are. Um, you be, let, me, let me put it this way. C.S. Lewis in uh, Your Christianity, I think he just says it a lot better. It says that Christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever, and this either must be true or false. Now, there are a good many things which would not be worth bothering about in my life if I were going to live only 70 years or so, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever. Perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse. My pride, my selfishness. You can insert the word, whatever it is that you struggle with. So gradually, it's so gradual, now listen to this, that the increase in 70 years will not be very noticeable, but it might be absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is the precisely correct technical term for what it would be. You become what you are. Now that I've gotten everybody depressed, um, I mean, you may be thinking... Um, Maybe, you know, if this is any of this is true, then I better start correcting my life. You know, of course, correct it. Start doing something else. Start loving other people. Start whatever. Um, and it, whether you're believers or not believers, you may be thinking that same thing. Um, so this is going to lead us to our next point in looking at how self-love works. But is the answer simply to just try harder to be a better person? I mean, don't you guys think about that kind of thing in general anyway? Right? So how does self-love work? Uh, St. Augustine, a uh, famous theologian and philosopher back in like the 4th century, basically said, there isn't anyone after all who doesn't love himself, but we have to look for the right sort of love and, avo- and avoid the wrong sort. Um, remember I talked about earlier about how in, in Jeff's song, in, in the songs that we were singing, I think in every one, with the exception of the first one, talked about the heart and how your heart would desire God and not something else, that it would be centered on God, that it would be changed from the inside out. Here's the deal, and Augustine knew this well. Augustine talked about, basically, human beings have loves in their heart. Biblical meaning of heart, which I'm going to get to here. And, and that those loves are all out of order. And that's why we have lives where it's constantly in discontinuity and, and discontentment. See, the idea of the heart, and this is, this is I remember talking to this small group a couple weeks back, and I probably just confused everybody, so hopefully they do a better job this time. In our concept of the heart... We basically have this idea that the heart is where the emotions are and the mind's where the intellect is, right? That's kind of a Greek idea. But that's not the biblical idea of the heart. In Proverbs 4, uh, it describes, it says, you know, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. 
See, in, in the Bible, the idea is that your mind and, the, and your will and your emotions actually come from the heart. Your heart is like the core of you. It is where your motives are. It is what you desire most. That's, where, that's what lives in there. So your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions, all the things that you do come from the heart. And see, here, here's the key. Whatever your heart centers itself on is whatever, that you, whatever you believe that you must have in order to have a joyful, meaningful life. It's where your greatest hopes are, your greatest loves, your greatest desires. And it's with these things that you know if you have worth or significance. Your behavior and your beliefs come from your heart, biblically. So you can't change your, your behavior or even start trying to change the way you think to change your heart because it's trying to do something in reverse. Um, people have, have different thinkers. Joseph Epstein's talked about this. He's a like basic. Is he still alive? I don't remember. He's a, he's a scholar. He's not a not a believer. He's written about this. Soren Kierkegaard wrote about this. Every human being builds their ego on something. We build our identity on something. All right. We all want glory. We all want meaning. We all want purpose. And so we'll we'll take whatever we can, whatever it is that we're inclined toward, and we'll gather it in, and we'll build ourselves up. And, and really, in a sense, this is the essence of sin. Sin isn't so much doing good and bad things. Sin is basically running from God, being your own savior, living your own life, doing what you want to do above everything else. That's why you get good and bad decisions and whatnot, all right? It's this idea, if I could only achieve, if I could only attain something, then life would be meaningful, then, then, then I would have significance. So here's the deal. Whatever is ultimate in your life, that's going to determine your decisions. That's going to determine how you act and how you live. And when it's all centered on yourself, guys, you're never going to be completely satisfied. You're never actually going to get exactly what you're looking for. Let me, let me give you guys some examples on this and try to be practical with you here. What if, um, and again, remember, this is all centered on you in some fashion, and that's the problem. Having money. Or financial security. What if that's a huge deal for you? It's a drive. It's a passion of your heart. It's the way you're going to feel important, secure, get what you want in life. All right? Look at how you actually are going to end up living or making choices. You'll pick jobs based on how much income you can get. Not necessarily on your giftings, where you're going to be satisfied, right? Is there an echo with this? Oh, okay, maybe it's just me. So they're going to make money for you. But here's the deal. In the end, you're either going to burn out faster than other people or you're going to continue to make lifestyle choices that continue to extend you. They continually basically stretch the limits of what you can do. And it's going to push thing, other things out of your life if that becomes what's most important to you. Or maybe marriage. Young singles group, right? Something that's a legitimate deal we struggle with. Um, romance. The idea that unless you have Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, life more they won't quite make it for you. And so here's a problem with you. You have this mentality, and I know this is something I struggle with. This is something that other people struggle with. If you have that mentality, if that is so important to you that your identity is built on that, you will either be too picky in choosing a mate because nothing's ever good enough. Or you'll never commit at all. Because you'll be too afraid. Well, that, that kind of goes along the, the same lines. Or you'll basically... You just take whoever you can get. 
because you're afraid of being alone. And that's going to continue to burden you later on. So you see, guys, if, if God is not at the center, and that's what Paul's been building up to you in this entire passage, you're going to try, basically everything you do is going to undermine the very life that you want to have. Um, even the church, we come up, we try and come up with ways to change ourselves, and this is where it gets frustrating, and this is, I think, so crucial to get to this in the passage. We've got all kinds of things from disciplines to self-help books, and they can be Christian too, whatever. Read a book, right? If, if you want to solve something, get better at it in life, go read a book. Go watch a, go to a seminar, watch a video series. Um, and yet, what happens when we're bent on that, either those techniques or whatever they may be? This kind of brings us to verse 6, and I think in a sense this is what the passage is hinging on. All these people, all these, all these behaviors, these beliefs to get to this. And this he wraps it up. It says, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So he rounds it off with this. Paul starts off with self-love and then he ends it with, again, you desire pleasure for whatever it is you want more than God. And that is the core issue. And this, this is what's crazy, though. It says, Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. All right, if you call yourself a Christian in this room, I'm just going to paint the picture for you. All right? I'm not saying you are or you aren't. But what this text is saying with this idea of form or appearance is this idea of structure. You have the religion. You know the lingo. You know what you're supposed to do. But it's all, it's all a mask. It's not legit. And your whole life is evidence of that. And therefore, basically, that's denying its power because the gospel really transforms lives. The gospel, God's grace, not yourself, is what actually changes you. So, guys, this is a problem even with religious people. Um, maybe even more so. Not just with those who are doing their own thing. Are you deceiving yourself? Where are you? Um, Martin Luther, you guys probably know who this guy is, a famous uh, German reformer back in the uh, 16th century. Before he came to Christ, he had some of these same similar issues happening to him where he realized what was really going on inside of him. He went from living a not hardcore but fairly licentious life, and then he had this huge life-changing experience where he says, you know, a lightning bolt came and almost struck him, and he's like, that was like God calling him into the ministry or whatever. And then he went in and became a monk, and he was very, very, very intelligent teaching uh, the Bible, doing his thing. But he had a confessor that he went to all the time, and um, this guy was one of his mentors. And he got to a point where he'd be going into confession for like six hours a day. All right? And so finally his confessor got fed up with him, and he basically said something along the lines like, uh, Luther, it's as it's, it's, it's if you consider every fart a sin. And he was like, what is your problem? And he's like, here's my problem. I said to God that I was going to change this and this about me and I was going to go do this because I realized that I was being selfish and narcissistic in my life and I was going to start living for God. But I realized that since I've been here, since I've been here, since I've been doing God's work, feeding the hungry, teaching the Bible, whatever, it's all still been about me. I've been living my life for me. And I can't change my heart. 
And this led uh, later on when he was going through the book of Galatians and the Romans to, to Luther's actual conversion. Because he realized that he couldn't do it. Now I'm going to last comment really quick here, guys. I know some people have asked me this during the week, and I want to address it just because I don't want to leave it unspoken. Um, it says avoid such people. First of all, in the context, uh, Paul is giving examples, obviously, of people who are in leadership. So, and Timothy's in leadership. So it really has more specifically to do with t- Timothy and leadership. Because obviously in the other passages, Paul's saying, listen, you be merciful to these people. Love these people. Bring them back in. Right? Um, so he's saying, listen, these guys who are in this high leadership are so far gone. They are so far deceived, self-deceived, that they're not going to listen to anything you say, regardless if you say it nicely. So this, and they're in the church, too. All right? These are people in the, ch- in the church. So it's like, just stop. They're just going to bring you down. They're going to drag you down. And you know that you reflect the people that you care most about and hang out with the most. Right? Um, but for us, um, I mean, I, I guess you guys can think about that. Who is it that you spend most of your time with? Now, I'm not talking about if you're believers in here, not hang out with unbelievers, because that is commanded in the scriptures. But um, are there people in your life who are believers who uh, are living lives completely contrary in your face, contrary. I don't mean people are struggling, okay? Please hear me on that. Because we're all struggling. That's when you get into issues like Matthew 18 and having brothers come with you and confront them, or brothers or sisters, um, and confronting them and doing it in love. But these kind of people are just going to drag you down, especially if they've hit that final point of being swollen with conceit. Let me get some just quick applications for you guys, because I know a lot of it's been pie in the sky kind of thing, all right? With your friendships, all right? Think of it this way. We, we are lonely, and actually, a whole other sermon, but it's not sinful to be lonely. Adam was alone, and it was not good. A whole other, whole other sermon. Um, you, you want friends, right? But how do you guys operate in that capacity? Instead of always looking to try and find friends. Because again, that's going back to felt needs all the time. All right? I'm not saying you don't have them. But instead of looking to find friends, have you ever thought about just going and being a friend to someone? To the friends you already have? Could that be have anything to do with why you feel slighted half the time when things are going on? Because at some point it's still focused on what's going on in here with you, yourself. And, and the reason I say that is it's in Christianity, guys, it's, it's about getting outside of ourselves. It's about thinking how you can give to them. And a common thing within this is, is as Christians especially, all right, what is the common desire of the heart that a Christian has, that should have? Christ. And we all base our friendships on commonality to an extent. So if, as a Christian, if you're really having struggle with your Christian friendships, I'd question whether you or your friends really have Christ at the center of those things, or if you've lifted up something else is more important. And that may be why things are so hard for you sometimes. <laughs> um, and then community, guys, we've got to be in community because here's the whole deal. Um, if you're being deceived, you don't know it. Someone said, hey, hey, is there a way that I can know I'm being deceived? Well, technically no, because if you're being deceived by the nature of the definition, you have no clue. Now, if you're being self-deceived, I think that's even more dangerous. 
And so if you're being self-deceived, you need friends in your lives to be able to say, listen, bro, this is going on, and you've got to address it. Yes, or sister, sorry. Um, and then another thing is discernment, because we've got a lot of truth issues going here. Mark's going to get into that next week, um, the need for discernment, what's really going on in your life. But where do we go now? Because I know I've given a lot of this stuff and broken certain things down, and it's like, well, wait a minute, I can't change my life. I mean, how do you not walk down this path? How do you not become that kind of person because you don't see it coming? You don't ever see it coming. How do you become someone who doesn't need to constantly, you know, lift life up and, and, and lift himself up in order to feel better? Who doesn't need honor or approval from others all the time? Who doesn't always dream about how life would be better if you only had I mean, do you guys, don't you guys wish you could be uh, going down a path where you're really free of that stuff, however small it is? And if you can't just try harder and do some technique or read a book or whatever, how do you know you're on the right path? Um, let me leave you with this. I think this is, this, is, this is the most crucial part, guys. If I could do this, I'd just talk about this and ignore the uh, text. It's not even in this text, though. And in John, in the book of John, Jesus is with his disciples. And he's talking to them how he is preparing a house for them. I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you, and you know the way. And, and Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. You show us. What's his answer? I'm going to get to that in a second. Think of, think of this in comparison to all other philosophies and all other religions. The teacher of the given religion says, here is the path of life if you want to live well. If you want maybe not to become someone like this, because these vices aren't central to just Christianity. They're in other, other philosophies as well. Here's the path. Here's the trail that I've blazed for you to get on it. Do these things. Think these things. Believe these things. Does it matter if you're Buddhist, if you're Muslim? That's how it works. What does Christ say in response to that question from Thomas? He says, you know the way. I am the way. I am the path, the truth, and the life. I don't want you to walk down something that I've made for you. I am your way out. What did that mean for them afterwards? Because I'm sure they didn't understand that. I am the way that exemplifies selflessness. I am the person who went all the way to the point of death, denying myself so that I could have you. We live our lives where basically I'm going to deny you so I can get whatever you, I want from you so that I can have myself. Christ did exactly the opposite. I am the way. Guys, that is what has got to be at the center of your heart. That is what you've got to pound in yourself day by day because otherwise all these little things are going to fight for control of your heart. You can't get rid of, you want what you want, right? You can't change that. Because whatever you want the most is what you want. You can't just knock that out. The only way to get rid of a lesser love is to have a greater love destroy it. So think about this, because the greater love is definitely Christ. He is the one who was the incarnation of selflessness so that he could bring you into relationship so that you would know what it means to have meaning, to have significance, to have security, to have relationship. 
to know what it means to be fulfilled, as opposed to chasing whatever it is you want and then going down this path in this passage. The more that you chase after him, the less you're going to be chasing after yourself. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior, our Lord, to live and to die for us and to raise up so that we would have a hope in our entire being being resurrected one day so that we might one day run and we might one day drink and enjoy and sip up life. And you promise that now so that we can experience it now in hopes of experiencing it in perfection. If if there's people in here struggling with that, they're like, I don't know about this thing. I don't know about my life, but they they can recognize to an extent I do do things that, um, that really reveal where my heart is. Lord, capture their heart. I pray that your spirit will be upon everyone in here, whether they're a believer or not a believer, to transform lives to change them from the inside out so that they desire you. And so that way they could love other people and that they would actually feel satisfied with what they're about. It is in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Um, I think you guys will see in the next... Uh, week as the passage continues, and I mean, I have enjoyed going through Second Timothy, and I watch you guys. But you'll see as the passage continues, and we, we, we there's a little more positive bent next week, but it's just as uh, convicting. Uh, so read ahead, and uh, you'll see in the next kind of ten verses where we're headed uh, with this study. Um, a couple of things before we leave. Oh, it's good to know, Josh. Now I know why you weren't in your front yard when I ran past it on Saturday. I was looking for him. I was totally looking for him. And there's no Josh out there with a sign that says, I love my pastor, or run fast, Mark, or... Sitting in the driveway, on the phone with the guy I'm supposed to be around, going, dude, there's a whole herd of people going by. Yeah, and, uh, that was us. Guys, uh, yeah. yeah, sorry about that. I was looking I'm for you. Late. It was fun. Uh, my kids were there, and I high-fived them on the side of the road, so that was cool. Um, but Josh wasn't, and I'm just going to have to be sad about that for a while. Um, hey, as we go tonight, a couple of things. We're staying here to eat, so stick around. Uh, it's just about 8 o'clock. We got to start a little bit late tonight because of all the art reach stuff and other things going on. But stay with us to eat. There's food for you. Um, and it's it's free. It's on us tonight. Um, also, uh, I hate to do this kind of thing, but every once in a while.